Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Jeff. It's good to see all of you this morning, as always. Very thankful to be here. Always counted a blessing to be able to wake up breathing and having another day uh, to glorify our Lord. Well, this is a very special um, Lord's Day. Uh, please excuse my voice. I've had some problems with my throat and chest, so if I sound a little gravelly, just try to look past it. Well, this morning is a special service. Uh, as many of you know, that we have taken it upon ourselves as the leaders of 116 Bible Church to set aside Brother Ivan Holt for the office of an elder. Uh, and most of you know Ivan as, as we do and can testify that Ivan is a man totally devoted to God, a man totally devoted to the Word of God, and a man totally devoted to the church. Ivan is also a man that is dedicated to his wife and to his family. I think we could all say that Ivan has a good reputation among the church. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. The idea is echoed as well in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1, where it says a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. A reputation is built over time as others evaluate our life choices and determine who we are based on how we behave. Very important. While we don't like the idea of being judged, the fact is that we're always judging each other as a way of determining who is trustworthy and who is not. Pastors especially are called upon to keep a good reputation in the eyes of the watching world. Among the elders' qualifications that he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It's not just what believers say about their pastor that counts. It's what the unsaved are saying too. Having credibility with those, the Bible says, outside the church is an important part of the pastor's ministry. Having credibility is a huge part of the pastor's ministry. If he loses his credibility with those he is trying to reach with the gospel, then he brings reproach upon his office, his message, and his Lord. The world needs to see pastors who are honorable, upright, self-controlled, and real. I would like to this morning, in the sight of God Almighty, the elders in the church, charge Ivan uh, in the calling to become an elder, that he would not take this calling lightly, but with much gravity and much seriousness. Yet while this exhortation may be directed towards Ivan and his calling to become an elder, this message also being the word of God applies to all of us as well as the church. I've titled this message uh, this morning as a vessel fit for the master's use. A vessel fit, fit for the master's use. Let us turn our Bibles, if you would, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 
2 Timothy chapter 2 reads, I'm going to read um, to verse 21. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits or farmer. Um, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised up from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer until even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound, or another translation is not chained. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. And this is what he's talking about, that, you know, even though he suffers as an evildoer, the word of God moves forward. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom it is of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is already past and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord. Lord, we acknowledge our absolute dependency upon you. Lord, we deny our self-sufficiency and claim that all our sufficiency is in Christ alone. Lord, be honored and glorified through the proclamation of your word. Be honored and glorified, Lord, as we even sing to your name. And Lord, be honored and glorified this morning as the people of God are able to listen to what is proclaimed, not as words coming from my mouth, Lord, but words that are coming from your word. Lord, be glorified in how you move powerfully amongst the saints today. May your presence, may the Holy Spirit be here today. May you move powerfully through this congregation and through myself. Enable me, Lord God, loosen my tongue that I may glorify you in the preaching of your word. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The same charge that 
uh, Paul gave to Timothy would be the same charge given today. <clears throat> Paul begins uh, this chapter by saying to Timothy, in verse 1 he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here he's speaking of his credibility. And he's speaking of the witnesses and, and how he himself um, is giving him a message that was ultimately at some level passed down to him as with the laying on of hands. Paul is saying to Timothy, these things that you have heard from me pass down to those who will be called into ministry as those who will teach others. But also we read in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 where it deals with the, the, the error of greed, which is every uh, pastor needs to realize, every elder, every leader called into ministry must be aware that he's not in it for the money. He's not here to collect a check, even though a minister is worthy of his wages, right? And he who preaches the gospel, the Bible says, lives by the gospel, and don't muzzle the ox while he tramples the corn, right? We always want to make sure we understand that there is a worthiness to his calling that would be connected to finances, but our motive isn't finances. We're not here to to uh, for a paycheck and for money. We're here to glorify Christ in the preaching of his word, whether we get paid or not. This is a calling with stability and durability and isn't based on how much money we get paid. It says here uh, in 1 Timothy 6, 3, it says, if anyone teaches otherwise, dealing with this whole teaching ministry that was passed to Paul and passed down to Timothy, he's dealing with these issues. He's saying if anybody teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth who supposes that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. But you, O oh man, he goes on to say, talking to Tim Timothy, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. But he lays this, 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 this context of the calling of pastoral ministry in this idea that there will be hardships. 
It's the context by which we are called. And if we are not told these things or understand these things biblically, that the Christian life is already difficult, that the gospel already brings enmity towards the world. But the scriptures tells us that there's a lot of attacks that take place and your most bloodiest ones take place within the church, especially when you're called into leadership, you're called into pastoral ministry. It's it's a whole nother experience altogether. And I can testify of this reality over just the last six years of pastoring this church. And we need to have preventative measures. You need to understand the calling that you're being called into. It's not a light calling. It's not an easy calling. It isn't walking through the flowery beds in the park. It is literally a battle. William Grinnell said it will be the bloodiest battle you'll ever be involved in. But on the other end, it is the most beautiful thing you could ever experience. The friendships, the relationships, the beauty of it all is just wonderful. Um, Despite all the pain and suffering and persecution that comes along with these callings, you also have the benefit that you see as the calling is manifested through not only the winning of souls, but seeing souls in the church built up in their faith. It's a wonderful thing that the Lord would call you to be a part of something so miraculous and powerful. But he says, you must endure all things, he says, these hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We must understand the nature of the true gospel. Whether you're becoming an elder or not, there will always be enmity between the children of God and the devil. For you, church, you need to understand that as well. When you become a Christian, maybe you haven't repented of your sin. Maybe you're an unbeliever. You know, I would strongly call you to repentance. Be made right with God. There's nothing worse in this world that could be worse than suffering eternally under the wrath of God in hell forever. Nothing in this life would ever compare. Nothing, no worldly pleasure, no worldly lust could ever compare. The, 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 the moment of, of satisfaction that you get from these things will never compare or outdo what it's going to be like to step into the heavenly abode of Jesus Christ for all eternity. It's a beautiful thing. But in context in which we read, it will not always be from the world, but from within the church especially when you get into leadership. Pastorally speaking, the attacks by which an elder can experience are worthy to be mentioned at the top of the list. And pastor's wives as well. This is why a man must be called to this work, because if he's not, he won't last. Unless he permits great compromise in his own life and winks his eyes at the sins of others even in the church. But by this, even then, he will not last very long because he loses respect from the church, right? And he is seen as a worldly coward. Church will not respect you if you're worldly. The church will not respect you if you're a coward. They want men. They want to follow strength. You know, if you're going to bear the title of an elder, remember that you are leading. You are in leadership now, and your leadership must reflect that of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who's being called into leadership must be warned about the attacks, otherwise he'll come into it thinking his duties are nothing more than being that of a hall monitor. Lots of authority with little risk. 
There's a lot of risk being involved. Relationally, there's a lot of risk speaking truth to people because you know what? Well, what about the tithe box? If I speak things that people don't want to hear, they may quit the church and we're not going to get paid. You've got to be willing to proclaim the truth regardless of the consequences. Even if everybody gets up and walks out that door, that's not your problem. That's their problem with the Lord. Remember that. We must always speak truth. Because um, you have authority when you come into eldership, right? You come into authority, but don't think you're coming into it with no or little risk. There's a lot of risk involved. But that's okay because it's our sanctification that ultimately matters when we have to trust another person who's betrayed us. Or you get totally ripped to pieces and shreds by a member that, or of the church that you thought was your friend. And next thing you know, they turn on you and tear you to shreds. But yet you have to bounce back and still trust. You can't do that unless the Lord gives you the ability to do that. Because we're all prone to bitterness, right? We're all prone to be unforgiving. We're all prone to gossip. We're all prone to slander. You know, we all have propensities for to evil. But because the Spirit of God is inside us, enables us to overcome that evil. And we have to trust the Lord when those things come into our play. And verse 4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. He's talking about the military. The military idea, obviously, it would have been the Roman soldiers of the day, but it can be applied to any type of military experience, is that when you're called into the military, right, you now are owned by the government. You must forget your old life. You get a whole new identity. You get your head shaved. You look like everybody else, right? You walk in there, and you look like everybody else. Everybody is together on the same page, right? And this is it. It's a whole new identity. When you become a Christian, Jesus said, deny yourself, not help yourself. Take up the cross means die to yourself, right? It means die to the whole self, not just part of you. And sharing with the glory of Christ, sharing his sovereignty, it doesn't exist in Scripture. There's only one sovereign Lord. You are not autonomous. And we're not to get entangled. The word entangled, you know what that means? It means twisted together interwoven into a confused manner. It's confusing when you see Christians live just like the world, especially an elder or pastor. He's up here preaching the word of God, and the next thing you know, he's at the casino. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some issues here. I mean, there's some issues with, the, with, with how we are, how the world, or how the, how the church sees us. Uh, we don't want to be entangled in, in this mixture of worldliness and then try to sanctify that worldliness, try to find somewhere in the Bible where God endorses worldliness, you know, it's not there. Search it from cover to cover. Nowhere in Scripture does God endorse or support worldliness. Doesn't. It's always, it's always against. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the things of this life. Doesn't mean you can't have, you know, things in this world as long as they don't conquer you. Especially being in leadership, you know, you're called to a higher level. Higher scrutiny. Judge more harshly. You know, there's, these are things that are very important to this calling that we need to understand. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one's going to keep God's standard perfectly ever. 
We're all screw-ups. You want to look at qualifications? There's not one of us in here who have the qualifications. But in the sense of being called to this particular uh, leadership in the church, uh, we better be uh, those who are pushing towards excellence. For what? The motive should be for the glory of God and for God's people. We'll get into here a little bit. There's always a condition in becoming a soldier. He gives up his own business during the time in which he's enlisted. He devotes himself to the service of his country. Once he signs the dotted line, he becomes owned by the government. In the same way, we must not share our devotions to the world or anything that might be inconsistent with your calling, but give ourselves wholly to Christ and the work he has called us to do. Even at the expense of tribulations, persecutions, and the worst one of all that no one likes, that's rejection, being rejected. Paul says to Timothy uh, in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor me as a prisoner, but share with me the sufferings of the gospel. Sorry, Philippians. The gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Um, in verse 9 of our, of our uh, chapter today, Paul said, I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point of chains for his stand for Christ and his gospel. And we ask why, you know, why, why do these things occur? Why is he in chains? Well, remember, he says that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So why was he in chains? Why was he in prison? Why was his days numbered? Why was he there? Was it because that he didn't believe the prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel, that his whole life just needs to be blessed? You know, with, with financial uh, success and no pain, no discomfort. Is this what the Christian life's all about? It's nonsense. Christian life is about, you know, being rejected, having enmity with the world, knowing, therefore, that wolves will come into the church, realizing that we have to be honest in, in confronting these things, as Paul did. Paul suffered from the gospel. And you too, brothers and sisters, will suffer for the gospel. Ivan, as you're called into eldership, you will, in this church, believe it or not, as good as everybody is, there will come a time where your metal will be challenged. Your metal will be challenged. We must be ready for this. Um, you know, Paul was suffered for the gospel so much so he was chained, thrown in prison, and eventually was beheaded by the emperor Nero. Think about that for a minute. What a is it? Is that the uh, you know? Is that the uh, the life enhancement gospel? You know, where where everything goes good for you, you're always blessed. You always got a fat bank account. Things are always good for you. No, it looks like here that he's willing to die for the gospel. He's willing to lose his head. For Christ. John the Baptist was willing to lose his head for Christ. They tried to shut him up. They threw him in prison. He kept preaching in prison. <clears throat> the only way they could shut that guy up is to take his head off. That's how powerful the gospel is and how threatening it is to the enemy and how important it is to be teaching truth and not false doctrine. 
But he goes on to say, although all of this is happening to me and I'm in chains, the word of God is not changed. Brothers and sisters, it's an unstoppable gospel. The gospel will never be stopped. The church will never be stopped. Jesus said, I have built my church and the gates of hell will never, ever, ever prevail. It'll never conquer the church. As long as the church is here on this earth, it will always be a conquering force. Little or big. You go to China, you have the underground church. You go to different countries who are being beheaded for their faith. It is growing miraculously. The church grows under persecution. It doesn't get dissolved or removed. You know as well as I do when the children of Israel were under Pharaoh. They grew under persecution. They didn't shrink. we got to remember this as a calling of a believer, but also calling into leadership within the context of the local church. Paul's still writing from the prison and church in Philippi, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, these things happened to me, he says, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my change, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of his change, you see what happened? It wasn't so much trying to entertain the world, but listen, the, the, the word of God spread not only around the prison, but those who were following Paul's um, life and following his example were encouraged by his chains. They weren't discouraged by his persecution. They were encouraged by his persecution. It encouraged them to such a fact that they preached the word of God. They kept on preaching without fear. He's in jail. You know what? We went to Scotland and we had brothers that were jailed there. It sent fear down my spine. I'm thinking to myself, the last thing I want to do is be thrown in a Scottish prison. I've seen the movie Braveheart too many times. Please, Lord. And it always went through my heart like, are you willing to go to jail for the gospel? You know, and, and you think it's going to be a bad influence on others. But at the end of the day, the men that went in encouraged us to still preach without that fear. And this is the way we must be as well. We not only see, uh, you know, Paul talking about his love for Christ and his gospel, but an enduring love for the church. Enduring love for the church. If you're going to be called into leadership and eldership and pastoral ministry, you need to have a love for God's people. To such an extent where you will lay your life down for them at the expense of your own life. Death comes to us, the Bible says, that they may live. Others may live through your death. It's a dying to self so others can live. We live a crucified life. We deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Christ. We live a crucified life. That's what our whole life testifies before a watching world. Whether that be the world or that be the church, we are to live in a way where we're continually dying to ourselves that other people may grow in the light of the gospel and in our sufferings. Many have sufferings. You want to bolt out. You want to run from the church. Suffering is a good example for the church to see. 
Pain, we don't run from pain. We endure the pain. And we know others are watching us. How do you endure it? How do you fight through this? How do you go through the storms? Are you like an eagle that can see a storm and and use that storm to cause him to soar higher? Or are you like a crow that has to go run and hide? These are things we got to ask ourselves as a suffering, persecuted church. America knows nothing about being persecuted. Nothing about suffering, tribulations, or death for the gospel. Yeah, there's a few, obviously, examples in our country that would do well uh, with reaching this. But in reality, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. We have a drive-through sense of our faith. Everything's got to be convenient or we get upset. Right? What if you don't have warm water? What if your water gets shut off? You can only imagine the upheaval of the house. Because they don't have warm water. Can you imagine people in other countries that are living underground, covered in sand, maybe being in an underground prison in Romania, like Richard Wormbrand, for 17 years, being poked with hot pokers, and being fed to live, fed, uh, living to rats, surviving that, and then going on and being able to preach? And yet we bellyache because someone forgot to put cheese on our hamburger at the drive-thru? we got to bust through these ideologies that are false of the Christian faith. Christians, you know, we're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to live at a certain standard that doesn't operate by the standards of the world. Operates by the invisible standards of the Lord God Almighty and is seen vi- visibly through His church. Paul says in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Think about that. I endure all things. Drownings, beatings, stonings, whatever that may be, being thirsty, being hungry, being poor. I endure all these things, he says, for the elect, for the church. This is his dedication and his devotion to God's people. We're not going to have a fruitful church that's growing in grace if the leadership doesn't possess these qualities. We're just going to morph into a small megachurch. With 20 people. An elder needs to display endurance in all things. Yes, for the sake of the church, for their salvation. This is dealing also with sanctification. It's not saying every time they got to get saved, every time they come into church on Sunday morning. It's saying that you want to endure with them all things that they would grow in grace. Not that you would trip them up every time they, they, they see your leadership and they wonder what in the world is this guy, why in the world is this guy leading the church? You know what I mean? They see things. I know you guys see everything. I know you're watching. So we always have to be on our best behavior. I think it's a good thing to be watching. Just as long as you're not got your little, you know, magnifying glass out and become a Pharisee, then we do have problems. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We will not be able to endure hardships. Ivan, you will not be able to endure hardships in your own strength. Only in Christ 
can we endure the many attacks that will come from the enemy. Only in Christ can we be a vessel fit for the Master's use. And the endurance can only come through Jesus Christ and not of ourselves. Jesus said, knowing heaven, Jesus actually said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, here we go, is fit for the kingdom of God. How many of us say we've never looked back? I've looked back. Uh, You want me to start here? Have you ever looked back? Yes, we've all looked back. We've all fallen short of that standard, right? But Christ never looked back. He was dragging the plow, dragging that cross up Via Della Rosa Boulevard to the place called Golgotha, the place of the dead. There he hung up on the cross. 100% man, 100% God. There he was, the sacrificial lamb of God, the eternal sacrificial lamb of God being laid upon the altar of God. God pours out his wrath upon his son in our place as if it was us. And he dies for us so we don't have to. And he goes into the grave. He sanctifies the grave. And three days later, he rises triumphantly, victoriously from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And if you, my friends, want to overcome death, hell, and the grave, it can only be overcome in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon said that is why Jesus singled out the plowman. He singled out this very action. He, this, this, um, you know, this, this, this idea of the plowman. It says plowmen are not usually, he says plowmen are not usually uh, learned persons, nor are they often poets in disguise. But their one virtue that they possess preeminently is this, is that it is the virtue of quietly holding on. Quietly holding on. That's a beautiful picture of not only the church, but as we are as leaders, we're quietly, not the fact we just shut up every time something happens. It's a disposition of quietness. It's having a disposition of peace and stability. When hell breaks loose, you're stable, you're durable, you don't break. You put lean on Christ and you bear. You bear it. This is why Paul used the illustration of an athlete in verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he says, he is not crowned unless he competes according to what? The rules. 1 Corinthians 9.24, he goes on to elaborate with this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So we must run in such a way, in such a way, okay, as to get the prize. Even though we never really get the prize, because nothing that we do merits anything from God, we don't earn His salvation. We don't earn sanctification. These are all Christ in us, receiving all the glory. But we as His people must strive for perfection. Must strive to be holy. Must strive to reach these standards. Even though we never will because of our sinful nature. But we must trust in Christ in order to walk in a way that would please Him at all times. Even the farmer understands this in order for him to be the first to partake of the crops. He will need to understand that there is an order to his reaping. He tills the land, he plants and waters the seed, and then expects to reap the harvest. These are the rules that must be followed in order for him to get and reap a harvest. You can't do it backwards. You can't do one before the other. There is a pattern to things. There's an order of things. There's laws of uniformity there. 
where things must be done in a certain way to expect a certain outcome. And that's what he's dealing with in the leadership with, with Timothy. You know, there are things that must be done in order. Things that must be done in a certain way. And they must be done and be kept in these ways in order for us not only to be a good testimony before the church, but also to glorify our Father who's in heaven. He says, remind them in verse 14 of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be able to present ourselves approved to God, number one. We're not to be approved by men in the sense to where they're going to govern your life and tell you what to do. We want approval from our church. Listen, people say, like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I do care what anybody. I do care what others think. I care what God thinks. I care what my wife thinks. I care what my kids think. And I care what the church thinks about me. I do care what other people think. Not in the sense where they're going to bully me into the corner and tell me what to do. But I care about what you think of me. It's extremely important to me because that's what the Bible says. When you have a good reputation, right? That does mean you must think well of me. Not that I'm great. You all know that's not true. But you guys know that the, the office that I function in, um, you know, really needs uh, your input, you know. And we always are very outspoken about that. This is why we read in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 about the qualifications of an elder. We're not going to, I'm going to read through these. We're not going to, obviously we're not going to discuss uh, either one of those, but we're just going to kind of go through these quickly. Um, there are two key passages uh, with these qualifications in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 3, 1, Titus 1, 6 through 9. This covers them. Uh, an elder must be blameless as a steward of God above reproach. He must be a faithful husband to his wife. He must be temperate, sober, and vigilant. He must be sober-minded and prudent, of good behavior, orderly, respectable, given to hospitality, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, nor quick-tempered, patient, moderate, forbearing, gentle, not covetous, not a lover of money, rules his own house well. His children are faithful, not accused of rebellion to God, not a novice or a new convert has a good rapport or reputation with outsiders, not self-willed, uh, a lover of what is good, just and fair, holy and devout, self-controlled, and holds firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught and handed down, as he we read in the first verse. And whatever is not agreeable to the doctrine of truth was in the sight of God, empty and profane babbling. If you want to know what that means, it means a false, it could be a false prophet or a false teacher, giving rise to ungodliness, which has a domino effect, like, you know, like cancer. He says, but shun, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, that their message will spread like cancer. And we see, I, listen, you know me, I don't want to always get into, I don't like cutting down other churches because I really don't have a right and it's not my, you know, um, intention. But in this country, a lot of what we see today, the tragedies that we see in abortion, abortion, they said, if they could just get the church to stop killing their kids, abortion would be shut down in one day. Think about that. Even though in Texas, we have that victory. It's wonderful, but it hasn't happened 
throughout all of the United States that we continually pray for. You think of the influences of Islam and these other religions that come in. We see the attacks going on in our country with the LGBTQ, whatever, whatever, whatever going on, trying to impose the people of God, threaten the people of God, forcing us to tolerate their vile and wicked behavior that we're called and commanded to, to confront, not to endorse. And these are the things that we are... Um, we see where teachers in the church begin to bend. They start ordaining homosexuals. They start falling into the whole idea of wokeness. They fall uh, prey to the wokeness ideology where white people are bad. And they fall into a critical race theory of their view of humanity, which is dangerous and deadly and false and heretical and damning. Um, the Bible says that all of us are created uh, in the image of God, and we all come from the human race, which come from Adam and Eve. We are no separate race. We're one race, the Bible says. People of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It never says different races. There's not like different little uh, Adam and Eve's all around the world that had different types of people, despite their color of their, regardless of the color of their skin, um, means nothing. We all come from the same family, so we need to treat each other in that way. And that's why racism is so damning because we look at another person based on the different colors and we want to condemn them. Whether it's a white man condemning a black man or a black man condemning a white man. You know, it, 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 it's, it's all sinful. You know, it's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. We have to remember that. We have to remember that in the way that we function, in, in the way we treat one another. That You have to remember before you say something. Before you watch something on YouTube and start applauding it and liking it and putting a comment down there of approval, just remember what the Bible says and not what man's influence is upon you. This, this whole message of cancer is within the church. It's preaching a false gospel. It's compromising to these teachings and fallen prey. And what happens? You preach a false gospel and it spreads like the plague. Look at our country. It's covered with it now. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, you see it now. This is why the true church of Christ needs to remain biblical and steadfast and not fall prey to the doctrines and heresies of men. Second Peter chapter 2, 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Acts 20, 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They come in, brothers and sisters. Um, Jesus said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Uh, these false preachers and teachers preach contrary to the word of God, that their messages become like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, Paul said, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.6, If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed, let him be damned. Anybody comes and preaches a false gospel, let him be damned. This is the, why does he say that? Why does he use such explicit and powerful, uh, language? Because of the seriousness of what happens to the body when you preach false doctrine. It spreads like a plague. Don't bring your false doctrine into this church. This church will confront you. 
I always said they're never going to make it to me anyways because all the boys here will take them out. We got a bunch of scholars in here and they will, and a bunch of true-blooded, faithful, devoted men and women in this church that know the word of God deeply, some better than me, that could stop a heretic before he gets to the front door. He goes on to say that nevertheless, in verse 19, finishing up here, nevertheless, a solid foundation of God stands. It'll never be removed. God's word always stands. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's unchanging, it's unmovable, and God always wins. The Lord knows who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're going to name the name of the Lord, then he's saying, depart from iniquity. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. He's just saying, this is what we want to be known as, as believers. Although he may be in chains, the word of God is not chained. Then he goes on in verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I like what the commentator Clark says concerning this verse. He says, here the apostle carries on the illusion introduced in the preceding verse. As the foundation of God refers to God's building, the whole system of Christianity. So here, the great house is to be understood as the same. And the different kinds of vessels mean the different teachers, as well as the different kind of members. In this sacred house of Ephesus, there were vessels of gold and silver, eminent, holy, sincere, and useful teachers, and members, and also vessels of wood and earth, false and heretical teachers, such as Hymenaeus and Philetus and their followers. There are also in such houses vessels employed, some in a more honorable, others in less honorable office. To these he seems also to compare the same persons. And he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. A vessel fit for the master's use. In that, I'd like to go ahead and invite um, Sean and Ivan up to the front, please, up here to the pulpit. Um, uh, Yolanda, could you come up here too, please? She is the neck that turns the head, right? That's right. She. We need to give credit to our to our wives, right? To probably take on more of the suffering than the pastors do, unfortunately. Um, so I So I'm going to go ahead and give um, Ivan a few um, words for him to comply with. And I'm going to give you words to comply with as well, okay, towards his calling. Um, and, you know, basically all you'll be saying is we do or I will when asked the questions, okay? Or I will not or I don't. 
Okay, so you have the option. I'm not telling you you have to do anything. So, um, anyway, Ivan, the elders of 116 Bible Church have recommended that you be ordained to the office of elder in this congregation of 116 Bible Church. Are you willing to serve this congregation as an elder? Do you, as the members of 116 Bible Church, agree that Jesus has called Ivan to serve this congregation as an elder? We do. Wonderful. Ivan, will you faithfully serve the people of 116 Bible Church as an elder with Christ's help to uphold the responsibilities and duties of that office? I will. To the church. Will you faithfully support this elder, pray for him, and uphold him in his office as an elder? So Ivan, in Christ's name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we ordain you to be an elder of the congregation of 116 Bible Church. Let us go ahead and lay our hands upon Brother Ivan and his wife as well, please. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and thank you for setting apart through the Holy Spirit, Ivan Holt, to serve as an elder in our congregation. We pray that you will fill him with wisdom, good judgment, courage, zeal, patience, and your love that he might serve the congregation as you would have him. We ask God that you would bless him in the service in Christ. We ask God that you would continually uphold his marriage. You'd bless his marriage, Lord, from the attacks of the enemy. Lord God, you would teach him how to put on, you teach them how to put on the full armor of God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would anoint this man. Anoint him, Lord God. Anoint his mind, Lord God. Anoint him for this calling, God, into this wonderful, wonderful calling as an elder of 116 Bible Church. Lord, and we as the elders bless him and accept him and agree and support him, Lord. Therefore, God, we reach out to you for help. Let us help, Lord. How can we help? Enable us in the power of the Spirit of God to help him function, help him grow, to keep him safe, to watch over him, to protect him, O God, from the evil onslaughts of the enemy, Lord. I pray, Father, he'd be a benefit to this church, that the church would grow in grace because of his presence, because of the work that you have called him to do, that you'd use him mightily, Lord God, in the salvation of sinners, Lord. And that you would continually work with him, work with his children, his lovely children, Lord God. That, oh God, that you would also anoint them. Lord God, bring them to the gospel. Empower them with the gospel. And cause their marriage and their children to live in the gospel's power. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. And so be it. Amen. I'd like to introduce to you, Pastor Ivan Holtz.